0: Hey everyone, it's great to be back. I've had a very busy and productive summer making videos, hosting a Magic the Gathering themed local game show presented by Card Kingdom, and recording a lot of new interviews. I'm excited to share them with you. We've got a wonderful lineup of guests this season. Aaron Forsythe, Megan and Maria of Good Luck High Five, Ruben Bressler of Magic Mikes, cosplayer Ashlyn Rose, GP champion Jessica Estefan, Hall of Famer Seth Manfield, and legendary MTG pros such as David Williams, Matt Sperling, and more guests that you'll be fascinated to hear interviews from. Thanks so much for being here right now. I hope you enjoy season four of Kitchen Table Magic. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. The first guest in season four is the senior design director of Magic the Gathering, Aaron Forsyth. I had the wonderful privilege of interviewing Aaron live at GP Vegas 2018. Special thanks to Channel Fireball and Wizards of the Coast for setting it up. It's Magic's 25 year anniversary and I'm excited to listen to Aaron share lots of cool stories about Magic history and his own life playing Magic. It's always insightful to be able to speak with someone that's lived through the rich history of Magic the Gathering and who's worked so much at Wizards of the Coast to bring us the game that we love. I hope you enjoy my special live interview with Aaron Foresight. Hello. Oh my goodness. Hello. This is the loudest I've ever heard my voice be echoed. So if you're hearing this voice right now, my name is Sam Tang, and I'm the host of Kitchen Table Magic, a community podcast that interviews people from the community about their lives and stories within Magic and how Magic has uh, affected them and pillars of the community. And today we have a very special episode live at GP Vegas with Aaron Forsythe.
1: Hello, I'm Aaron Forsythe. I'm the Senior Design Director for Magic at Wizards of the Coast, and I've been working there for about 16 years.
0: And Aaron is so kind to spend a little bit of time with us in this fireside-style chat. But like all things, we start at the beginning. Aaron, where did you grow up and how did you find Magic?
1: Uh, I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania. um, And Magic came out when I was 22 years old. I heard about it from a college friend that was in a marching band with me. And I had broken my leg, so I had nothing to do for a summer. And he said, hey, I just played this game with a friend of mine on vacation, I think you'd really like it. Uh, so it piqued my interest, but I couldn't find any of the cards. They were all sold out at that time. It was after The Dark had come out in, in 94. Um, revised was the the main set out at that time, but the, the printing had dried up and there wasn't any to be found. So looked around, tried to find it, couldn't find it. But my mom eventually found some a starter deck and a few boosters and mailed them to me at my college apartment. And so my roommate and I dove into it didn't know what we were doing, didn't understand the rules, but just kind of loved the idea of it. Uh, he went and bought some, uh, a set of commons, a full set of commons from Revise at a card shop. And we just battled it out and learned the rules ourselves. Uh, and it just kind of grew from there.
0: I've had a lot of interviews with uh, old school magic players brian weissman randy bueller brian david marshall rich hagan and i'm so happy to have you here now added to the roster because their origin stories as a magic player has always been about this excitement and this fervor i mean back in 1993 1994 to set the context for the audience this game went viral
1: it went viral they couldn't keep it in stock and there was nothing like it like we nowadays there's so many trading card games and kids have grown up with Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and all these other It's just kind of part of growing up or you're exposed to at a very young age and it's just part of the world you know just like the internet is part of the world right now and when I was growing up it was not so it was really cool we didn't we didn't understand the 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 way to get cards we didn't understand how to interact with other people how to make decks where we'd get information it was just this very strange and wonderful new experience that we'd never had before I mean many of us had collected baseball cards. Many of us had played Dungeons & Dragons, so we kind of understood the fusion of those two and how, it could, how cool it could be. But it was just mind-blowing, just what a revelation it was for how you play games and how you interact with people. And it just, you know, it immediately changed my life and I knew this was something I wanted to go deep on. And obviously, you know, having worked at the company now for over 15 years, I did, and it, it's just, it's been awesome.
0: Aaron, I really love what you said about um, ex- trying to explain the context of players Having difficulty to get cards. Like, it was hard to get cards. It was hard to get information. Uh, Sometimes people didn't even know what cards were in the set. Like, we don't even know what was complete as a product. And so, all of these things, I mean, as modern Magic players, 25 years, you know, anniversary, we take it for granted. You know, we log online and we get all the cards. We log online and we get the story, we get the development.
1: Right, we didn't know what the rarity of the cards were. Uh, I remember trading some, going to the Mirage pre-release and coming back and trading some Mirage Commons for like Pox, which was a rare from Ice Age, because they didn't know what rarity this card was. And it, it, the information was, sometimes you can get it in a magazine Uh, There was a really nascent few websites out there, but they were kind of hard to use, and if you weren't familiar with them, you didn't go there. So, you know, information was at a premium. Uh, Deck lists were nowhere to be found. What, you know, how how hard cars were to get was really hard to understand. It was just a a whole different world.
0: It's always been famously quoted that what was in the deck list was secret tech. Should it be locked away in the basement? Should someone like Brian Weissman have true access to what was called the deck? People would only find out what was in the deck when they lost to him at a tournament. And you don't know, did you only see 40% of the deck? Did you only see something else? So it was really technology, and it was really a different way of thinking of the game. And in that very early stage, even people like Jay Schneider, who came up with the concept of the monocurve, play testing was, totally beyond the average player. And so I really also want to ask, Aaron, you, you've rolled in a lot of early circles, playtesting magic, competing in magic, and it's like you it all kind of fits together,
1: right? Like, tell us about your uh, playtesting with Randy Bueller early on. Yeah, so I mean, I was, you know, the consummate kitchen table player when I first started playing with my brother, playing with my college roommates, playing at the card shop with our thrall decks and our sapperling decks and all the other stuff people did back then. Um, and at the uh, university of Pittsburgh Student Union That uh, was mostly a casual fun crowd we played multiplayer, goofy things but just down the road was another university, Carnegie Mellon University You know where the big brains went uh, people like Eric Lauer and Randy Bueller and Andrew Cunio, who is still playing on the Pro Tour to this day uh, they played there and they were the ones you know, breaking the game basically, figuring out that the best cards were the Moxes and the Duel Lands and things like that when the rest of us were still ogling Shiv and Dragon so they would show up to pit sometimes to play with us, wipe the floor with everybody, and it was just kind of jaw-dropping the, the decks that they would put together. So when I decided that I wanted to try to get on the Pro Tour, you know, I kind of switched gears and started running with that crowd um, and learned a lot from them. Uh, they're still all very good friends of mine, and they still have a lot. To, they all still contribute to Magic in a, in a large way. But it was interesting back then because Decks would be developed, you know, in one location. Like Pittsburgh would have the best Necropotence deck or whatever, and other parts of the country, other cities, did not have that. So you could go to a tournament in Ohio or a tournament in Maryland, and no one would have your deck, uh, because like the only way you'd get them is out of magazines many months after they happened. So that was a pretty cool phenomenon, and it was really great having like the super smart people on on my side. Uh, we could show up to pro tours with decks nobody else had, uh, it, it was it was really cool. And then those guys start of, you know, Randy Bueller in particular was one of the guys that kind of started the content creation websites. We were working for a site called Brainburst and they all contributed to the dojo and things like that. So it was cool watching it happen from the beginning. Uh, it was a different world, uh, and it was, it was really fun and exhilarating. Listeners, I really
0: encourage people to think about coming out to events like GPs or like large tournaments. Because when you get to run into people like Randy Bueller and you see him wear his old CMU hat, that was the same CMU hat from back in the day. And you get these little nuggets, these little artifacts that have just, like, come forward in time. And, you know, you wouldn't notice those kinds of details, but they're,
1: they're quite historic. Yeah, the magic is different than a lot of the other you know, lifestyle games or esports that are going on right now because, you know, unlike something like StarCraft uh, or, or some of the other shooters, like, you don't really age out of being good at it. So we, you know, we get to keep all of our best players around for as long as they want to remain interested. You know, John Finkel still shows up to Pro Tours. Brian Kibler's here this weekend. These guys have been playing a long time. I, I've been playing a long time as well. But it's cool that, you know, they could still compete and hang out with the next generation and the generation after that.
0: What's very critical as a Magic player grows in their journey, discovering the game, being excited. About the game, and then saying to themselves, Hey, I want to go from a kitchen table magic player to being on the Pro Tour or really start to play test. And this is a little bit of a funny aside. So, when I spoke to uh, Randy Bueller, he gave me a funny quip about Aaron. And when uh, Randy won the Pro Tour, Randy quotes Aaron as saying, That guy won a Pro Tour? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, I, I called my buddy who ran the card shop, and I'm like, you would not believe who just won the Pro Tour. It was like Randy Bueller. Like, oh, my God. Right, And that was the moment where I said, okay, fine, I'm going to be on the Pro Tour. If that dude can, can win a Pro Tour, I can certainly get on the Pro Tour. And, and Randy, he was just one of the guys I knew, and I, I didn't particularly put him on a pedestal or anything like that. He turned out to be one of the all-time greats. It was hard to see that from just being so close to him. But just get out there mix with other people, talk to them, learn from them. There's just so many great minds in the Magic community. It's very fascinating to to
0: hear the journey of a person in a community, in a group of friends, as they inspire each other, as they push each other, there's a healthy level of competition, there's a healthy level of thought process. Because when you become a, a, a grinder, a tester, a play tester, a thought leader, whether you think you're doing it or not, you're inspiring the people around you. You're giving other people ideas. They go off, they win a tournament, and, and that carries forward to inspire other people to be like, wow, this other person won a tournament. And I also wanted to ask... And I'm sure people ask you this a lot. What advice do you have for players that you can share from maybe an aspect in your life, in your history, that you felt that there was a distinctive level up moment for yourself?
1: Well, I think as you start to go deep, if you, if you do try to make that run at being a big tournament player or winning, like, you have to remember why this game was fun for you in the first place. I would stress out and kill myself and play test and show up with a deck and then not do well and it would I'd end up with a debilitating migraine headache from the stress of all that and whatnot. And the next time I played Magic, I did not want to just start testing tournament formats again. Like, I'd have to go back to my brother or my roommates and bust out our, like, gnome theme decks or whatever and just play, you know, the fun Magic that I remembered, like, because it can be really taxing. And one person's, you know, exhilarating, fun, pro tour-type environment is just not that fun for another person. So make sure you know why you enjoy this. Don't throw that all away in in chasing after something that, that you may or may not ever attain. So finding that balance between winning and fun is really important, and it's different for different people. And for me, people say, why did you go work at Wizards when I was still qualified for the Pro Tour for another year or whatever? It was like, because it was just, it was so taxing and so difficult for me to keep playing at that high level one. I just kind of wanted to screw around with magic cards and have a good time with them. And you know, working at Wizards has let me do that a lot more than staying on the Pro Tour head.
0: The one core thing that I hear from the pillars of the community when they, when they talk about magic and improving and getting better, the cornerstone of that concept is are you having fun? Are you enjoying yourself? In its heart, in its essence, magic is still a game. It's a complex game, it's a puzzle, But are you enjoying yourself? And people find enjoyment in different ways. Some people find enjoyment in winning. Some people find enjoyment in content creation. Some people find enjoyment in community building. Whatever the mix of that is, never lose yourself in where you are. Are you enjoying yourself? That's the key. Some people, they just want to trade or collect or make sure they have all these foils or, you know, whatever. Get their cards signed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Another another. Big advice is, and it, this was super easy for me just based on who I was around at the time, but like being humble and having an open mind. Like other people can teach you so much. You know, even if you won the tournament, you're not suddenly the best person around and know everything and can tell everyone they're building their sealed decks wrong or whatever. There's something to learn from everybody. There's something to learn about why somebody tried a certain card or a different strategy you wanted to play. Being open-minded and, and you know having that dose of humility to say, okay, I bet I can learn something from that guy. Or he beat me, not because he's a luck sack and whatever and I didn't draw, but because he did something differently than I might have, or he played a card that I might not have otherwise played. And using that as a way to learn instead of a way to get angry about things. What I really hear
0: about your answer Aaron, is about magic as a journey, right? We all grow, we all start somewhere, we experience things, we end somewhere, right? It's a journey. And, and one thing that we really wanna talk about this summer is the magic 25 year anniversary. It's very difficult in simple words to say, what is magic? How has it affected your life? What do you enjoy about it? What do you love about it? What do, you, what do you miss about it? What's nostalgia? Every taxi driver that has taken me around town this weekend, they said, what are you here for? I'm here for the Magic the Gathering Grand Prix in Vegas. It's our biggest, it's our, it's the community's biggest outing every single year. And they go, magic what? And I say, Magic the Gathering. And, I, and they go, I think I played that game with my brother, or my friend, or my cousin. And, I, and you know what I say? I go, do you remember plains, islands, swamps, mountains, and forests, a few elves and maybe a dragon or two, and they go, yes, oh my gosh, I do, I, ha- I did play Magic. I said, well, come on down. We're always here, right? So the Magic community is much bigger, much, much bigger than the people who come to GPs, much, much bigger than people who go to M's, much, much bigger than, you know, there, there's a lot of people who play Kitchen Table Magic, there's a lot of people who played and they forgot. But what's also very endearing is who taught them how to play Magic? It was their, their siblings, their cousins, their best friends in middle school. Those relationships that you have with the people that you love, you will never forget that. That is a part of your soul. That's a part of your heart. It makes who you are as you grow up. And so magic, really, it's in our bones.
1: Yeah, and in, in the uh, Wizards panel we just did a couple hours ago, one of the questions from the, or that, that we were presented with was, what will still be true about magic 25 years from now? Um, And the answer I gave was, we're still going to be using physical cardboard to play games against each other. I think there's some fear that, you know, Wizards is trying to shift everything digital or just that's the the way of the world is just like newspapers going digital or whatever else, we're going to want to make our game digital. But no, the social interaction, the tangibility of the experience is so important. I think that's why we continue to exist uh, in a world of the most amazing video games you've ever seen. Somehow cardboard rectangles are still a thing. Somehow it's still super fun and engaging and people want to spend lots of time doing it. And, and, you know, we want to keep doing that. Yeah, just who you meet, who you invest with, who you experience it with is so important and it's always going to continue to be that way.
0: Aaron, I want to ask you about a very memorable magic experience in your life. And as you cue that up, I'd like to share one of my own. And I don't know if I've shared this very often. So when I was a teenager, I took a trip to China. You know, I grew up in the United States, but going back to China, I, I speak a little bit of Chinese, but I don't read or write it. And for some weird reason, as a teenager, this was back in Invasion Block, right at the end of like Mercadian Masks. For some weird reason, I insisted on bringing my standard decks like to vacation. In, in China, like, I, I, now why am I bringing my decks with me halfway around the world? When I got there, there wasn't a Google Maps, there wasn't, you know, find a store, there was nothing. So it was like some ridiculous map quest, some old technology that I had to be on the computer and look for. So in China, I typed in Magic the Gathering, Beijing. Magic the Gathering, Shanghai. And I was like, oh, I'm not gonna get anything. And I got a lot of really weird, I got like a few plumbers, but I did get a couple of game stores. And they were in strange locations, I went there, and it looked just like an LGS in the United States. I feel like LGSs all over the world have this innate feel to them. And I walked in, and it was just like a Western, when the the guy that is from out of town comes into town and then kicks through the doors, everyone stops and looks, the music stops, you hear glass breaking in the background, that's what happened. And I had my decks, they were playing, I kind of walked up, said hi, you know, in the few words of Chinese that I knew, and they looked at me, and they're like, where are you from? And I explained, I'm, I'm just here hanging out for the summer. I busted out my deck. I was like, you want to play? Again, no formats. We weren't playing standard or anything. We weren't playing type 2 or type 1 or whatever. I just like, let's just play, right? We didn't really speak, you know, communicate 100%. I think our, our communication was like maybe 20%. I couldn't read anything on their card because it was all in Chinese, other than power and toughness and casting costs. But from the art, from the universal language that is the comprehensive rules of Magic the Gathering, we played Magic.
1: Yeah, that, that's awesome. One of the guys that works with me in R&D, Gavin Verhey, he like he has one of those stories every six months. I swear to God, the guy globe trots. He's like the Anthony Bourdain of magic. He's just in different cities, going to these little tiny card shops and, and staying on people's couches and playing magic with them and telling us about the culture of all these different countries. And it's super awesome. I haven't uh, done that much. Like I said, I started magic at a at an older age than a lot of people because that just happened to be when it came out. I've got three kids now. I don't get to bounce around all that much, but. Um, I have had magic pop up in really weird scenarios, like my cousin's kid is just like, really, that's our cousin, Aaron Forsythe? He works at Wizards, I know who he is, and I play magic, and just those, then my whole family's like, who, what, this, our kid's going nuts over you, and like, what is going on here? Like, who, What do you do for work again? And so I have those moments, I had uh, some kids that, uh, at the University of Pittsburgh, I was in the marching band, in the drum line, and th- there's just been an apartment that's been passed down over the years to the drum line for the the band uh, that we all stayed in, and it's just moved around. But there's all this paraphernalia and signed drum heads from different years that we were in the band together. And I just got a message from a guy that's like, I'm in the pit band, and I stay at the drum house. And I saw your signature, a signature that I was like, that looks like the signature I have on a magic card. From some, and it, he's like, were you the same guy? Did you, were you in the pit band? And it, it's pulling people out of the woodwork that, uh, I would never know uh, that are reaching out to me about magic, and it's just super awesome. That's absolutely
0: incredible. And and again,
1: magic uh, in a sense uh, wants to
0: carry itself forward in time, and 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 magic does that. It kind of like leaves little memories around, leaves little artifacts and treasures and like relics around. Leading up till this summer, everyone I've talked to, I've asked them, "What's your magic story? Do you have a story?" I've heard so many stories about how magic has changed people's lives. Obviously, magic has changed my life. A lot of people asked me, Sam, why did you start the podcast, Kitchen Table Magic? And I said, well, because one day, I was carpooling with my wife, and she says, what do you wanna do this Friday? And I broke down in tears, and I was like, I just wanna play magic! And I was just crying, I was uncontrollably crying. There was love for the game. Admiration, yearning, like it was just out of my reach and also a deep sense of loss like I wasn't good enough. And she, at, in that moment, she was like, whoa, like we need, we need to talk. And so she really kind of broke it down for me. She was like, what's missing for you here? I was like, I would go and I would get crushed. I was like, no, what's missing for you there? Win or lose, what's missing for you? And I said, I'm, I feel a disconnection with the community. I miss my friends. I miss this group of people that have been nothing but contributing to me. And that's when it dawned on me. I should start talking to the magic community more. And so I really internalized it. I just let that sit in my belly. And just a few months went by and I was like, I know, I'll do a podcast. I was like, I don't feel like I'm a, I'm a YouTube person. I don't feel like I'm, I'm gonna be a good writer. But to hear voices and speak to people intimately about their lives, about how magic has affected them, that's what I did. And it was very scary, season one. Like, hey, I'm a nobody, please be on this show, right? And I was incredibly fortunate. If you look at season one, 22, 23 episodes, Mark Rosewater was, was a season one finale. And I just kept going from there. And my community in Seattle supported me and supported me and just and pushed me along. And I, and I got all the constructive criticism and I just kept on going. And then season two, I got Richard Garfield as, as the season finale. And just I'm blown away that I was able to have to have a conversation with Richard Garfield about what magic meant to him and how he intended magic to be played, which he loves to draft. And then now season three, we just finished that up, and I somehow got all the way to like 30 some episodes, but of all the incredible guests, season three, the finale was about our kids. The future of Magic the Gathering. I interviewed Dana Fisher, Nathan Stoyer, Ethan Brown, Quinn Kiefer, Miley Chen, Neilio Strober Cohen. They all love magic in vastly different capacities there's no right way or wrong way to love magic and every single one of them they look up to all of us everyone who's here in the audience right now everyone who's here at the gp everyone who's here in the top tables on coverage who's going to be listening to this podcast later on they look up to us they really really do just like when i was a kid i looked up to john finkel i looked up to kai buda i looked up to chris pacula
1: yeah this community is just full of people like that and it's awesome that you know Events like this can pull everybody together. The, the cards are a great medium for pulling like-minded people together. Like the story of John Finkel from the, the book Johnny Magic and the Card Shark Kids where he said he was in England or something like that and then, you know, didn't have a lot of friends. People made fun of him all the time. But then he walked into a card shop full of Magic players and the feeling was just, I'm home. It lets you find your people. And even working at Wizards of the Coast for, the, for me has been that. Like, it is intoxicating to just be around smart passionate awesome people and you know they they're like diamonds in the rough and, and so hard to find the, it just in the, in greater society the people that think like you and enjoy the things that you do and are analytical in the same ways and and, and fun loving in the same ways as you are but magic allows us to aggregate all those people together and create communities that are full of them and like it just is an awesome feeling and you know that's why I can imagine myself doing it until I retire and then coming back and playing after that you know it's just the best thing ever in addition
0: to the players, in addition to the cards, the tournaments, I also want to talk very briefly about what makes a magic card so iconic, and that is the art. The art is something that if we took away from a magic card, it wouldn't even be a magic card anymore. And Richard Garfield, early on when developing the game, famously said, when we're playtesting, they just cut out little pieces of cardboard. Richard was insistent, I don't care what it is, that you have to draw a card, stamp a card, draw a flower, draw a cat on it, it must have some kind of pictorial iconography on it because that's what allows us to connect with what we're actually doing. Magic is an incredibly abstract game. It's incredibly complex. How do, we, how do we visualize the stack? How do we visualize someone actually sending a fireball to someone that's lethal and then it getting mana drained? Where does that mana go even? It, all of these things are so abstract. And so I was actually over in the artist alley and I was talking to Dan Frazier. He did all the mocks. I was talking to Doug Schuler, Douglas Shuler. He, he he did Sarah Angel. Force of nature and all of Force of, of nature, cars. right. And I was talking to Mark Tadine, and you think about Therese Nielsen. There's so many artists who have contributed to this cultural phenomenon that let's just be serious. We feel like we're kind of a small community sometimes. We feel like we're kind of a niche community sometimes. But you look at the number of people that have been affected by magic moving forward. Magic has culturally affected the way people think about gaming, the way people think about communities, the way people think about so many different things, usability, game theory even, in many modern games, TCG or otherwise,
1: I go, that reminds me a lot like magic. That, that's like a magic thing. Yeah, and on the art front, I think magic, I believe, generates the largest quantity of high quality fantasy artwork of anything you know in the world every single year. Uh, and just the artists that have passed through our game and gone on to other things, like Tony Dieter Litzy, who went on to Write uh, Spiderwick Chronicles. You know he was a, he was a magic artist. We had Bill Sinkevich who you know worked for Marvel and invented the character Legion, which is now a TV show. He's got some magic cards that he did back in Alliances. And Carlo Ortiz and some of the other people we have now, Alexi Bricklow, that are doing concept work for all the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies. You know that they they kind of cut their teeth making magic cards. And you know it's it's an incredible collection of talent, and the stuff they make just blows me away every single day I go to work. We've been
0: talking a lot about magic as a story for ourselves. You we We're human beings, we have a journey. Magic itself is a product of all of the people in Wizards, all of the people in the community, all of the artists, all of the fans. Magic itself is a living, breathing entity that is moving forward. And so I also would like to talk a little bit with you, Aaron, about what Magic is like right now. We have a growing community, people are excited about them, we have a lot
1: of new sets, we have a lot of new announcements like card frame changes and things like that. We are doing better at Wizards at making different things for different audiences. I think the, the success of the Commander format as created by the, the community, and then when we could leverage that into a product that suits their needs better than, say, a box of boosters could, uh, it, just, it shows just how robust and huge and diverse this community is I think we're doing better and better at serving those individual audiences needs with the different products uh, you talk about the products that are upcoming like corset 2019 is coming out in just a couple weeks uh, you know we took a couple years off from the corset because we thought we could do a better job you know telling stories by just having four main sets and not doing a corset but You know, the 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 audience didn't react well to that, and we it kind of made Magic more complicated as a whole to have a set like Eldritch Moon come out instead of another core set. So, you know, we are still making sure that we're doing the right things for growing the audience by making sets that appeal to the, the the as an on ramp to enter the game. And I'm super happy that we're bringing back core sets. I've been following a lot
0: of the new developments about core sets. And one thing that I've noticed are our new characters are being introduced. We're also getting a little bit of a shift in the story. We're getting a little bit of a backstory. Now, I haven't heard too much about the backstory of Bolas, but could you tell us a little... I mean, what can you tell us about the relationship
1: of Bolus in his youth? Well, we're going back, way back, to, like, the stories that were being told in the Legends set, you know, which was one of the, the first few Magic sets. And, and M19 is not like a snapshot of a moment in time. It is, it is about Bolas loosely, and all the different points in time that he's had, and different characters he interacted with. Uh, but one thing the set does contain, and we've seen a couple of them now, Bolas, and then they, they showed off Evictus Asmati. Uh, new versions of the five elder dragons. I think people have been speculating that that's true. It is. There are, there are uh, new versions of all those characters. Canonically, in the story current day, many of them are dead. But because we're doing a set that's, you know, a retrospective on different parts of Bolos's life, we get to dredge up some old characters and make new cards for them that are, I think, more in a modern design sensibility than those old Elder Dragons, which were cool at the time, but don't don't stand up well to current card design philosophy. So I look forward to you guys seeing the other three of those uh, as we preview them in the coming weeks.
0: Much of what drives Magic Story forward is really the motivations of the characters as well as the motivations of, you know, what, what what's the plan? What's the adventure that we're going on, right? And you know, recently we even were like Avengers Infinity War, you know, Thanos. We're really thinking about what is a villain? Bolus kind of reminds me of that. Like the grandeur of bolus. Bolas is not like the Eldrazi. It's not just there and eating things. Bolas, is, Bolas has, like, some gears turning. Bolas has been around for eons and messing things up. So why? Like, that's the big thing. Why is even Bolus bothering with all this? He could have just sat on Almond Kent and just hung
1: out. Right. Uh, so, I mean, Bolas is still annoyed at the events that took place during Time Spiral where he kind of lost his pre-mending power. Uh, you know, He used to be one of the godlike old planeswalkers, and now he's been changed into a, a shadow of his former self, and he resents that very much. So you will see his plan be unveiled in the next, over the next few sets. But what, I mean, one thing, kind of doubling down on Bolas over these past couple years, he'd been a big part of the Magic storyline. He'd been in several different card sets before in Conflux. Uh, in the original Legends. But we, we we said, like, you never get to actually see him do anything. Like, he's just been, oh, sure, he's a bad guy. We made a card of him. Well, what does he do? I don't know. He's, he's just a bad guy. So Hour of Devastation was kind of the first shot we got to show the power of this guy and what he was capable of, this this awesome ancient dragon. Uh, and there's a lot more in store from him. So, yeah, it's, yeah you mentioned Thanos. It's, it's hilarious that the Marvel Cinematic unit you know, we, had, we had planned this arc out years in advance in that... Uh, there's a lot of parallels in how we thought about what an uber villain should be between, you know, how Marvel handled Thanos and what we have in store for Bolas.
0: And with every new magic set that comes out, we're also being introduced to new characters. Aaron, what can you tell us about our newest Green Planeswalker? She's a new character, right?
1: Yeah, Vivian Reed. She's really sweet. Her home world was destroyed by Bolas, and so she's like, I don't know, the Pokemon trainer of, of, of magical animals. She collects their essences and can manifest them by shooting her magical bow. We've been in need of a new green planeswalker for a while, Nyssa, who's in the audience. Uh, has kind of pieced out on the Gatewatch. She just can't handle the stress of the situations that they're getting into and wants to just make sure she's protecting her home world. Garrick is still MIA. We haven't forgotten about him. I know people keep asking for him. He, we have plans. Uh, we're not ready to unveil them yet, but Garrick's not not gone for good. Uh, so we, we wanted a new character, and, and Vivian, you know, our, our team worked really hard to come up with a kind of a different take on Green, you know, the kind of Archer... Uh, Beastmaster hunter character that is a lot different in a different space than Garrett uh, and yeah, she's been received really well going so far.
0: Characters and Planeswalkers are very important because their storylines and their motivations do anchor and also help set the pace for how they, you know, clash and struggle against these really big foes. I mean, we've got we had the Phyrexians, they were they were a huge nuisance. We had the Eldrazi; they were a huge nuisance. And Bolus is just incredibly powerful, just completely just shattered the Gatewatch. And so, even thinking about like other Planeswalkers like Elspeth, like. Will Elspeth come back? Will Garrett come back, right? Like, we're, we're weaving these together. There's a lot of fans who are really missing some of these characters. And so how does the Wizards team balance who comes, who goes, are, is it right for them to take a break? Is it right, you know, what do we well, think about that?
1: We try stuff, we see how people react to it, and then we adjust from there. So yeah, we, we know there's gate watch fatigue is what we're calling it in-house. So we want to start mixing up the roster of who we're showing and what we're showing. Um, and in many ways, the way we handle our characters is like a soap opera or or it's like a comic book series. We want to keep them, highlight certain ones for certain periods of time, have them fade away. Maybe they die. If people are upset that they die, well, there's, you know, hey, it's a magical world full of necromancers and all sorts of magic we can discuss about having them come back as well. So uh, we do want to do what people are going to respond positively to. So people are just super upset that character that they loved isn't there anymore, well then, you know, why wouldn't we figure out how to bring them back? Like, we want people to be happy with what we're making, we want them to like our characters, so we, we want to keep it rotating and keep it fresh. Uh, and surprise people, but at the same time, we wanna give them what they want.
0: Not all magic characters have to be incredible planeswalkers. With the set of Dominaria, we had some incredible new characters that I think went viral in the community. We had Slimefoot, who was adorable, and had this very interesting, I guess, existence, right? It wasn't, it was a phthalate, it, it was a fungus. It, you know, even the magic story is like, I clung to the side of the weatherlight, and like, I was about to get off by a shovel, but I just crawled into a dark space, and there was a glow of a light, and here we have Slimefoot. And we also have Yargol. Oh, poor Yargol! Right? We have these really funny, and like Arvad, who just looks kind of, oh, like, so, like he's got a stomachache or something like that. Now, how did the team, like, feel when the community responded in such a way when Dominaria was released and these, these characters essentially went viral?
1: It, it was awesome. The, the legendary theme of that set started out very mechanically. Like, we we liked our historic mechanic, we wanted Legends to play a big part, we knew we wanted our headliners, but then we're like, well, if we want Legends to matter, we're gonna just have to throw a ton more into this card set, more than we ever have before. And the way our creative team that kind of took that and ran with it, like, and we've discussed this at great length since the sets come out, like, how this went, how people reacted to it, and what that means for the future, but just the opportunity to have your booster pack full of these different characters, which is a very different vibe from how other magic sets have been before. In fact, there's a Legendary in every pack. And when you build your seal deck or your draft deck, it's like, oh, who's my roster of people that I have fighting at my side today? Oh, I've got Raf Capation, and I've got Baird, and I've got Quende this time, or whatever. And you just feel like you've constructed a team of cool dudes every time you play this set. And then you can go check out their stories and and some of them are delightful and, and very charming and some of them are a lot more grim and you know, kinda of the normal fare for an intense fantasy property. But you know, because there were so many of them they could just try all sorts of stuff. Uh, and it's really made us rethink like the role of legendary characters in our card sets and our stories going forward. And I, would, I imagine you'll see uh, us notch that up a little bit. The Magic Man Sam
0: uh, Rhystic Studies on YouTube. Recently, uh, his newest video was about legends need not apply. And this was this very thoughtful study about the legendary rule as it was re- related to Dominaria as a Legends Matter set. He also dissected the fact that Wizards is merging a story element with a game mechanic element as well as a balance element. When you look at all of these legendary creatures, they're at uncommon, they're not particularly powerful, but in multiples, they would kind of lead to degenerate board states. And I thought it was very interesting that the team decided to meld that. And I thought they melded it incredibly successfully, because Dominaria as
1: a whole was very well received. Right, when you think about Legendary from a game standpoint, it's just a drawback, right? It's just, this card would be better if this word was not on here, you know, in in an abstract sense. The truth is, because we know you can only have one of them out at a time, we can make them a little more powerful than we would otherwise, and we try to do that as often and as responsibly as we can. But at the same time, we have discussed at length many, many hours of meetings with R&D of like, should the Legend Rule not mean, should not we just not have it? Like, wouldn't it be better if I could just have four Rafka patients on the table? That's where the kind of like, Forthos versus Spike starts to clash in everyone's mind. of like, well, it might be better from a, I win the game more, but is it better from like, how I feel doing this? Or better about how I feel about this character or this card? So we, we've kept it the way it is now. It, the Legend Rule has actually gone through quite a few changes. I like where it is now, where we can each have one. But yeah, it, it is a strange phenomenon. Just the power of the character, what the card means. I think the new frame has done a lot to really highlighting the coolness of these characters, even though the word itself is a drawback. I mean, and the commander format has done a lot to kind of give them an extra cachet as well, and a, a, an extra additional use beyond what a normal magic creature might have. But it, it is kind of a, an interesting thing that people respond very positively to these cards that You know, inherently have a drawback to them.
0: If we look at Magic's history and we look at um, Magic's arc in every single set that is being released, Dominaria is a throwback, a callback to the Legends set. And also, Kamigawa, kind of right in the middle, was kind of like a Legends Matter set, but kind of in the modern ish era of Magic. And, you know, I talked uh, about this with other content creators as well that original Ravnica felt like. Uh, a reworking of Invasion when all these colors started to mix. And then we also, it was so popular that then we had Return to Ravnica, which was also like, you know, held it as like a really wonderful modern era set. What I'm also incredibly excited about was the recent announcement that we're returning to returning to Ravnica, that all of these players who did not get to experience original Ravnica, Return to Ravnica, now you get to experience guilds of Ravnica, the concept is made more tight. What I thought was very interesting was that I never played original Ravnica, but I played in every single Return to Ravnica pre-release, and it was incredibly enjoyable. The concept of guilds was kind of released. I asked so many Magic players, what's your favorite color of Magic? and it goes one level beyond that.
1: What's your guild? That's even more complex. It's almost like a magic personality test. Right, the, the, the way the colors of magic work, the way that been, they're named from the beginning of the game, it's just called red. Uh, it's not called, you know, fire or given some other kind of you know, evocative name. They've just been called red and black. We've ascribed certain things to the colors, but when, you get to, when we combine them and made the first Ravnica and gave each of the color pairs an identity, uh, and kind of tied it to both a play style and a way of kind of viewing the world, that they're all different. Like, I'm personally a big Boros guy. Not not because I like playing red and white decks that much, but I do like the, like, justice through punching, as I like to say, uh, as, as a way of looking at the world. And the way players responded to that, it finally felt like we had given our, our color pie a thing that you could latch on to, identify with, and, and be proud to say that you are. Like, I say that I'm Boros first to say I'm green, and green is just such a bland way of explaining, you know, your personality through the lens of the game. But yeah, so we're doing it again. We got another Ravnica set coming out this fall. Um, We love innovating. We love coming up with new stuff, new worlds, all sorts of crazy stuff to keep you guys on your toes. But at the same time, as I said before, when people like something, we want to figure out how we can, you know, give it back to you again and have you still like it. So a lot about Guilds of Ravnica structurally is going to be very familiar to fans of Ravnica. You know, pick your guild, they each get a mechanic, things like that, because we know that recipe works and that people really enjoy doing it. And you know, why mess with it? So it's, it's, it's going to be super fun, just like it was the first two times. During the uh, Wizards
0: announcement for Guilds of Ravnica, uh, we previewed a lot of the art, a lot of the costumes and a lot of the conveyance about the space uh, was that you know, we're refining, right? I notice a lot of the costumes being refined to be more close to the identities of what the guilds really embodied. And I, you know, and I know Wizards can't reveal too much because there's a, re- there's a release schedule, but I, I also felt, if you read in between the lines, it's also going to be a refinement about mechanics, right? If you're refining the art and you're refining the storyline and you're refining all these things, obviously you're going to be refining the mechanics as well.
1: Obviously, but that's about all you're going to get out of me on that one. I'm trying.
0: I'm trying. Well, I would love to ask you some rapid-fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Aaron, rapid-fire question number one. Of the
1: five colors of Magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, which is your favorite color and why? Green. Growing up, when I did starting Magic, when I did, creatures were viewed as bad, uh, and I just took that very personally. I'm like, I'm going to beat you with creatures. I've always liked attacking people with creatures. I love creatures that generate card advantage and tokens and things like that. So... Always partial to green. Fascinating. And
0: you earlier, you said you were very much boros-skilled. But going off of green,
1: if you could pair green with another color, what would it be? Uh, Green-blue, funny enough. And I don't like counter spells. And I don't care that much about card drawing spells. So but like, things like clones, and flickers, and bounce, and things like that. To, I like the kind of creative, goofy aspects of blue and what it lets you do in breaking game rules in a certain way. Uh, so in green and blue together, make the Simic cards. That, that I love those kind of decks. It sounds to me like you really enjoy a
0: dichotomy of color identity. You said my favorite guild is Boros. White, red, they're, they're enemy colors. They're not ally colors, they're enemy, co- enemy colors. And also you say green, blue, again, enemy colors. Is yeah, there something about that I, dichotomy? Yeah, I, I,
1: yes, uh, just that mixing together things that feel like they shouldn't go together i mean and the way way, one of the great things about magic more so than you know any other card game out there the fact that you can take any two cards you want and put them in a deck even if they don't seem like they make any sense at all together and just mixing together those kind of forbidden pairs red and blue white and red i just that that's just a a super cool feeling for me that's
0: fascinating okay aaron rapid fire question number two so take this lightly because i asked this to all my guests if you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I, I get to change whatever I want about Magic the Gathering. Um, that's tough. Um, I mean, there's some things that, that are so endemic to the game now that it's so entrenched that it's impossible to change at this time. Like, I do think, and we, I think we might have talked about this in articles, or Mark might have talked about, but like, if we could imbue a little more flavor into the types of spells and things like that, like fire spells like a fireball was a fire spell you can easily make fire servant make your fire spells better or have a search your deck for a fire spell or an ice spell or a weather spell or or a disease spell or something like that just kind of branching out and that it's impossible to do that now we wouldn't want to retrofit all that stuff but i think you know the flavor of the game is so important and if there were ways to double down on it like that i would love to have done that
0: i really like that you said that right expanding on the idea of flavor in a spell right Fireball, fire spell. Now we just kind of wrapped up the great designer search three and Morrow famously said, hey, if you have a uh, flying 4-4 vigilance creature, what colors would it be? And the correct answer is black green. And and is that what you're talking about? His
1: correct answer was black green. I I got that question wrong when I took the quiz internally. Uh, Yeah, another thing about magic, everyone that works on it does not agree on everything. We fight about things constantly. That question was fought about internally just as much as it was fought about externally. So is that what I mean? No. (laughs) The Black green four four vigilance flyer. Don't expect to see that card anytime soon. Aaron, rapid fire question number three: If you
0: could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Let's
1: see. If I could give something to every Magic player, um, a good set of sleeves. <laughs> I my the way that I, I treat my cards has changed so much since I started sleeving them. Now and just we're gonna keep making stuff like double face cards that are gonna require people. Uh, in order to have the best time to use, the, have those kind of gameplay accessories. Um, and I just think that would make everyone's life a lot easier. I understand that
0: magic, as it grows and develops, magic is pushing the boundaries of what's available in its own design space, right? For the longest time, magic cards had the same back. You could not mess with that back until we got double-faced cards. And so things now can transform. So in maximizing the ability to Uh, look at different dimensions of gameplay, what a particular card, what a particular piece represents. Yeah, perhaps Sleeves enables the community to fully access those spaces.
1: Yep. I guess another thing I would love to give the Magic community is an endless supply of pleasant opponents. And we're trying to do that. We're trying to grow the game. We want to make sure you, as an invested player, have people to play against for the rest of your life, anytime you want to, wherever you go, and uh, that they're going to be nice people.
0: Okay. And this next question, remember, I ask these questions to all my guests. So Aaron, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering?
1: Well, I can answer that very literally, but I'd probably get fired. I see us continuing to push the boundaries of how and where you can play the game, uh, both digitally and in paper, the different formats the community comes up with. We want to keep embracing things like that. We want to keep making products geared for certain audiences. We want to find more and more ways to get cards into people's hands. We we'll find more and ways to get people to engage with the game digitally, so that they can play it whenever they want to, in bed, on the bus, whatever, uh, and just keep delivering things that people want and allow them to engage with the game more and more. And this is
0: really what I hear from everyone I've talked to, is we want to see the Game of Magic grow doesn't matter what we do in terms of creating new product inviting new players having pro tours be more exciting having Grand Prix be more fun having Fms be more fun everything every aspect of it digitally online in paper in mobile whatever even the future possible magic the gathering movie whatever it is we want it to grow so that's really what I hear from you
1: absolutely okay. I mean I I want to make sure that there are people playing it when I'm 60 years old you know so just more and more, the more people we can expose to it, the more people we can get in. That makes it more fun for the people that are already here.
0: I will be that Magic player in a cane still trying to get on the Pro Tour. <laughs> and last, Aaron, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? What would you like to say to the Magic community?
1: I would like to say that, look, we do take all of your feedback very seriously. We're, we are constantly showing Twitter threads or Facebook posts or articles to each other at work. Look what somebody wrote. Oh cool, I didn't think of that. Let's talk about it today in our meeting. So you guys are out there making content. You're out there suggesting things. You're asking for things. I saw Sam Black was just here in the audience a little bit ago. He put up an article on Star City about what he would do if he was king of the world. We talked about that. So we, you guys are the audience. You're the people that we need to make happy. You're the people we're making the game for. We want to know what you think. We want to know what you like. Tweet at us. Write us stuff. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say call us at home. I don't think our families would like that very much. But you know, it all does matter. We do care. We we can't think of everything ourselves. So your feedback is important, it does matter, and it does make us do things.
0: Aaron, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you as well as acknowledge you. Of all the people that I have spoken to, you have been kind of in the middle of all of it. You were there from very early on in the beginning. You've affected and contributed to a lot of other Magic players. You've built community for us. Of course, you've even built the game for us, and you continue to build the game for us. You you devote your life, your spirit, to us in the community. A part of you goes into the game, the game that we play. We open packs here and we uh, covet and we protect and it brings us enjoyment. So I want to thank you.
1: Thanks. I, I do it just because it is so fun. Like I go home at night and I'll log on to Magic Arena even after I've been at work all day because there's something I wanted to try out or a new deck I wanted to build. And I've been doing it for you know, over 20 years. It's an endless supply of enjoyment for myself. And so I just want to make sure that it continues to be that for as many people as it can be.
0: Special thanks again to Channel Fireball and Wizards of the Coast for setting up the live interview with Aaron. You can go say hi to Aaron on Twitter at mtgaaron. That's M-T-G-A-A-R-O-N. Season 4 of Kitchen Table Magic is filled with special guests, and I can't wait to share them with you. If you're new to the show, welcome. All of the show notes and past episodes can be found at kitchentablemagic.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and I'm on Twitter at Tango. Kitchen Table Magic is on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. I send out cool gifts from my interviews to Patreon supporters. I want to take a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Neil, Aaron C, Corey, Chad, Logan S, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Garant, Scryfall, Ian, Matt, Priscovi, Carl, Yana, David, and Matthew. I really appreciate all the support from my patrons past, present, and future. It's not just your financial support that propels the show forward. It's also your likes, follows, and shares on social media. It's also your kind words and telling your friends about the show. Thank you everyone for your support. Coming up on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.
1: You know, it's so funny because way back in the day, we used to have a local game store that was like, hey, do you want us to make your video for you and put it up on our YouTube channel? And we were just like, no, <laughs> no, please. That sounds like too much work. We record the show in our pajamas, in the dark. It's like- so true. Sometimes I still think back and I do sometimes miss the times oh, when for it was sure. just like, we we're just like curled up on the couch, yeah, wearing comfy clothes. Just, we didn't have to do our hair. Exactly. And we just talk magic. Am I supposed to be doing my hair? Cool.
0: <laughs> well. Oh. <laughs> One of us is doing yeah. our hair now. One of us is sometimes <laughs> doing her
1: hair. Uh, but so, like, we understand the value of it and a lot of people really do like the uh, YouTube version. But the truth of the matter is, we secretly wish we could go back to recording on a couch in the dark. Yes, <laughs> we understand why people want it. But, oh boy.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot more work, I'll say that. It really is. I'm talking to the dynamic duo Megan and Maria of Good Luck High Five. Formerly known as Magic the Amateuring, Megan and Maria have created a tremendous amount of positivity and fun in the Magic community. Their YouTube videos and podcasts help players of all kinds to enjoy the game. We talk content creation and what it's like to manage a demanding production schedule. All on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.